0: A shout out to our sponsor, Natera, and the great team there. They have developed a new kind of test called Signatera that can detect cancer recurrence as much as a year earlier than imaging. It's something that I use. Ask your doctor if Signatera is right for you. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. everyone welcome to the man up to cancer podcast this morning I am just on cloud nine because I have two awesome people with me I have my guest Jackie Emery I'm gonna introduce her in a minute but first I'm gonna say hi to Kellen what's up Kellen
1: oh it's a lovely day you know it's feeling like spring as I, you know, really look forward to my morning of after this going to the DMV, it's going to be fantastic. So, so.
0: you sound a little Eeyore ish this morning. <laughs> I can't help but notice, but are you all right?
1: No, I, yeah, I'm fine. I, I've definitely, uh, you know, I turned 40 last month and uh, that seems to have a cascade of events afterwards that I wasn't. Th- Going to the DMV to make sure that I can apparently drive at night is not something that I was expecting just at 40. Them not letting me renew my license. So,
0: number one, I missed your 40th birthday apparently. Like, hey, man up to cancer, like partner here, like didn't give me a heads up on that. So I failed, but I did get you a Christmas gift. So that's going to apply to your birthday. Yeah, You did. Um, Secondly, so you're going to the DMV and. So, I'm just gonna well, stop
1: by the Social Security office afterwards and get my my benefits. You know, <laughs> just like round out the apparent. I,
0: I haven't been able to banter with you because you know something about like an actual job for you, whatever. Anyways, <laughs> today Kellen is with us and she needs to go make sure that she can see the little, the little um, letters on the sign. i still then...
1: apparently viable to drive at night. Is my like that that. <laughs>
0: I wish you good luck on the photo because my past I've had two photos I think since I was like 16. I'm 45. That's amazing they last that long, but both of them look like I escaped from a prison for the criminally insane.
1: Yeah, I'm going to uh, if they give me an option of just keeping my old photo, I'm going to be 20 forever. That's what I'm planning on and, you know, 20
0: forever. That sounds just... like a Taylor Swift album. I like that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't renewed my license. This is the first time I'm renewing my license since I moved to Maine, uh, you know, 16 years ago. So, like.
0: Good luck and Godspeed. <laughs> we are glad to have you today because this is an important conversation. I am honored to welcome today's guest. Jackie Emery lives in, I believe, Lilburn, Georgia. She, is that right, Jackie?
2: hi guys yes thank you for having me and yes i live just outside of atlanta northeast in a little town called Lilburn. even has a main
0: street okay awesome (laughs) um so jackie is a fierce and loving caregiver to her husband rich rich was diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer in the fall of 2020 and in november of last year he received a life-saving liver transplant wow um so we're going to get into that. Jackie is the definition of a caregiver advocate, and you're going to find out why. Um, so Jackie, thanks again for coming on to share your story with us. So before we go back in time, let's, I want to ask you about right now, it's been about four months, I believe, since the transplant. How are you guys doing now?
2: Well, normally I would love to say we're doing great, but like with anything, we've had our ups and downs and yep. Rich's neutrophils, his recent labs, um, his absolute neutrophils and white blood cell count went down. So we are trying to get a pre-authorization through the beloved insurance for this medication. <laughs> um, but he oh. actually is doing great. So the, the actual numbers for the white blood cell count, while it's 2.0 and it's extremely low, he's dancing around the house in his little bubble and he's singing tiny bubbles because he can't leave the house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah all the things you never thought you'd learn about right neutrophil count um, exactly so that's great I mean it's good to hear I mean yes ups and downs but you know he's here he's he's with you and um, you're getting through
2: I just he is absolutely I just want to make sure that um, I hope that I can do everyone proud who is a caregiver for a living liver donor transplant patient because I know how difficult it is And i don't want to misrepresent or screw anything up for them but i am proud and i'm honored to be here on behalf of everyone and hopefully i'll include everybody uh just a little bit
0: you know what i appreciate that but really all i mean (laughs) you you got nothing to prove you you are everyone who knows you and who sees you online and the journey you've had to support rich knows that you are just absolutely incredible and 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 just by being yourself you're doing that so well, so take that. me so take me way back in time. Um, how did you meet Rich? <laughs> I met
2: Rich in an online poker environment while I was still living in Alberta, Canada. Um, yes. and he was in Atlanta and we met playing Ultimate Bet Poker. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Oh my Our god. First, I... <laughs> it's crazy. Our first date
1: was a blind date.
2: He flew to Canada to meet me for a week and we spent a week in bam.
1: That's okay. Well, com- well, yeah, that, Helen, go ahead. That is one of those stories that could have either been like something that was written up as a local woman, you know. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm glad it went the other way.
2: Yeah, me too. Trust me, I'm glad I'm not you know black bear bait. But yeah. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my God. So what year was this when this happened?
2: That was in 19. uh, Oh geez. Sorry. Yeah. 19. I believe 98. Somewhere yeah, roughly.
0: It. Like yeah. when we're talking in the '90s, like if yeah, you budget if by a couple of years, you're, you're good.
2: Yeah, that was. So it. sorry, I, I misspoke. Sorry about that. Take out the '98. Um Okay. It was actually, it was actually 2005, and we actually got married in 2009. I just got my years in reverse. Decades. Now, now. Yeah, I decades. Seriously. Um. On so the, 2000... to the Social Security office. Yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> Um, mid 2000s so you 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 meet playing online poker and all of a sudden and and you were living in in Alberta. your home country of Canada right Alberta yes. um and and talk about a whirlwind wow what what so what was it that just struck you about him right away
2: oh wow his humor he is funny and witty and quick and he's so smart he's yeah. just so so smart and he can bring that intelligence Uh, To a level that doesn't make you feel foolish, stupid, and he brings with it quick wit and humor. Um, And he took this by the horns and it's been, yeah, it's been a journey and nothing I would have missed.
0: So fast forward, we're going to skip all the amazing parts about your (laughs) awesome marriage, Um, but we get to October 2020. Tell us a little bit about how he was diagnosed.
2: Um, I had to go back because of COVID and going through a bunch of a uh, bunch of things here and in Canada. My family's still there. My dad. Um, I had to go back, and he wasn't feeling good. And this was really there was no history, no prefacing to it, nothing. He just started feeling off and super tired, and he was running to the restroom, literally every five minutes. And I said, okay, you know what? He was going to drive me to the airport and I wasn't comfortable leaving like that. So I made a Zoom phone call because, again, we're still in the height of COVID at this time. And I left and I had to go into two weeks quarantine in Canada. But I was on uh, the phone with him right after he spoke with our primary care practitioner here. And he said, oh, he thinks it's diverticulitis, potentially colitis. All the usual things they assume before they actually get to the colonoscopy. He did have his first colonoscopy at fifty. This happened at the age of fifty-nine. Um, so he, or sixty rather, he's—I don't even know what. <laughs> <it> <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah.
0: Sure.
2: I'm getting my numbers mixed up. But no I They said he said, "Well, let's just send you for a colonoscopy just in case." But I'm pretty sure it's diverticulitis, the usual again. So he went, and then I waited. It was—it um, was a Wednesday morning, I believe. And I waited and I texted him and I said, so you get the all clear, ha ha. And I get back a quick note and the earth just dropped. So I waited, waited, he said, I'll text you. Uh, I wasn't here to drive him. So the hospital actually had a driver for him and I waited for him to get home on pins and needles. He called me and he said, essentially, this is what the gastroenterologist said. I was very, very quiet. I didn't want to believe what was actually happening. And a week later, they confirmed it, and they said, it's likely metastasis. And when they say, I was literally holding on to the counter in my room, because when they say the earth literally falls beneath your feet, it does. And I changed everything from that second. I was going to fight to get on a plane. And again, keep in mind, the height of COVID, flights to and from Canada and the US were almost impossible. So, I had to fly from, I believe it was 17 Calgary, Calgary, Toronto, Toronto, Detroit, Detroit, Atlanta, just to get back here um, to make sure that I would be here for the start of all of this. And after that, from that first point forward, we met with his first oncologist, who I did not like from the get go.
0: Right. So, part of it. And, and, and so, you're flying to all those spots, like carrying the weight of this earth shattering news. And then you're told, like a lot of people are told that the cancer had started in the colon, the large intestine, and had spread to the liver. So liver, for those of folks who are from other disease backgrounds, liver is generally the first spot where colorectal cancer metastasizes to. And that's often what ends up taking people's lives. Um, He had disease spread throughout his liver at that point. And when it's spread like that, most families are told chemo, 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 make him comfortable, get his affairs in order. Is that what you were hearing at that time?
2: Exactly. And that is exactly what I did. I didn't, um, I didn't go into fight or flight at that moment in time. I went into hyperprotective. I refuse to acknowledge this is what his fate will be. Hmm. And from that point on, I don't think it feels like I didn't sleep at all, but I did what they said. Um, You know, I made sure that I had all the information we were supposed to have as spouses and families. Uh, Our son was grown. He was in New York. I made sure that we set up a will. I made sure that I knew where all of the documents were for our home for all the bills that we needed to pay all the things that you don't need to be doing. Right when you find out, but you know you need to, because Ugh. just in case
0: right, and then so but but at the same time, you know, anyone who knows Jackie knows that when she was told like, yeah you know, um, prepare for the end of his life, that Jackie was like, "Oh, hell no <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> that is pretty much exactly what I said. you could probably add a few adjectives in there,
0: <laughs> yeah, so so what did you? Do? So this was the start of your mission um, to save Rich's life. This um, was
2: it. I, uh, clearly, I actually, sorry, you,
0: go ahead. No, I was just gonna say this is you are not the average caregiver, so that's why I'm so excited to have you share your story. So, um, yeah, I, we're gonna sort of skip ahead a little bit to sort of learning that a transplant was your best bet, but summarize that period of just trying to digest all this information. As some, I mean, did you have a background in cancer or medicine or any of this stuff? I had none of that
2: absolutely none of that. I was online self-taught. I did meet somebody on my flight to back to Atlanta. I was already on Facebook and the internet and I had found this uh, general um, colon cancer group and I had met uh, Nancy Green on there who's also part of Colontown. She introduced me to colon Town that night, like yep. on my flight over here. <laughs> and, and, and
0: and just real quick to to introduce people. So colon Town is a um, um, it's Facebook communities set up and it's run by colorectal cancer patients and survivors and caregivers. And it's kind of a go-to place for, for peer to peer information about coping with colorectal cancer. So go ahead.
2: And that, so yeah, it's not just peer to peer anymore. There are some really great surgeons and moving ahead to the transplant part of it, um, going into hyperdrive and asking all of these questions, joining the sub communities like living um, or liver lovers lane and uh, the general colon community
0: mm-hmm.
2: i found so much more information on research on what to look for and what to, you know what to look for not just in the oncology but in the different type of chemo protocols i am grateful that the first oncologist uh, did immediately put rich on full fox theory, which is yeah. i mean that it's your it's not the cancer protocol chemo you want to be on it's definitely one of the harshest with the oxy, um, oxypalatin. Yep. And all those other fancy words that it combined the protocol. But he did put Rich on that right away. I also knew after learning that if you're not comfortable with your oncologist, change them. Don't worry about feelings. You are not there to be their caregiver.
0: 100%. Absolutely. Second, third, fourth, fifth opinions, whatever you need to do. Um, So you just dove in, you tackled being the, you were going to find a way. Right. And And by Richard
2: sixth chemo, we moved him to Emory.
0: Emory University in Atlanta. In Atlanta,
2: yes. Emory St. Joe's main campus. And he did his chemo treatments at the Clifton campus. And after having done that, we, well, I stayed a part of Colon diligently. And was learning more and more about all of these different options, resection, et cetera. At certain point in time, we were told, well, right off the top, of course, like you said, chemo, 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 no chance for resection. It's, his liver is covered. The tumors are too mass, massive. It's uh, far too grave. There's too many, too many tumors to count. I'm, a lot of people hear this and eventually make it to resection. Rich ultimately did make it to resection. At that moment in time, we were at a crossroads because the brilliant Dr. Roberto Alejandro Hernandez had reached out and asked if I had ever heard or knew anything about living liver donor transplant. And that was my so, introduction.
0: Yeah. So to your point, so Colon Town has done a great job at building bridges with um, some of the top surgeons, um, medical oncologists, other other folks. Um, and and so those folks are, have a presence in there, which is amazing. So you were made aware that a... Um, you were made aware that a living uh, liver donor transplant was an option. And, and this has been just starting kind of to emerge as an option.
2: Correct. There'd only been a
0: few. That
2: is my understanding in the U.S. I know UPMC does them. Uh, Dr. Hernandez is with strong Memorial in Rochester, New York, which is who we decided to go with and who um, we found to be the best fit for us. And ultimately, who we just basically fell in love with as a surgeon, a doctor, uh, a kind, considerate, understanding human being, who took our needs into consideration and stood by us the whole pathway. Because Rich was having no, none of it in the beginning; he was resection. That's it.
0: And and this is again. I uh, tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but Dr. Roberto Hernandez Alejandro, University of Rochester, Strong Memorial Hospital. Correct. And and this is, yeah, so he's he's well-known in, in Town now as, as, a, as one of the go-to surgeons for, for liver transplant. Um, through all of this, what was Rich's involvement in, did, did he just let you do the research and, and figure stuff out? like, Or, or did, was he doing that with you? Or what was his, um, I guess, mindset around figuring all this out?
2: I told him right from the beginning that his job was to get better. I will take care of the heavy lifting, uh, weekends were time off cancer. It took me a little while to adjust to that because you get into that mindset where your head is spinning all the time and it's racing and you always are going to the next thing for Monday or the list of things you have to do, the people you have to call, the second, third, fourth, 80 opinions and different surgeons and CDs you have to send out, et cetera. So his job, he was good to go with trusting me as his caregiver and to find the best route. Even
0: though Perfect. when
2: it was first brought up, he wanted no part of transplant.
0: So, how did you ultimately lo- sort of lo- keep learning and then make the decision that uh, that a transplant was your best route?
2: Um, we did. I spoke with Rich slowly as we kind of um, progressed through what resection meant, recurrence with resection, what his specific. I mean, each patient is unique. Each each right. patient has certain um, characteristics without getting into medical detail that make their outcomes potentially better with one particular treatment or surgery than another we knew already that rich if he had resection he had more than 80 percent likely chance of recurrence within the first six to eight weeks it wasn't even three months it was literally six to eight weeks and I right. know him. there was no way he was going to go through resection after resection after resection if Ned was going to be long in the future as highly unlikely. And that right. li- that living liver donor transplant was going to provide him the best opportunity for longevity um, and a life worth living for him that won't be consistent Um chemos Mm. that would allow him to live his life the way he wanted to live it.
0: Perfectly said. Now's the time in the show where we take a quick break to thank today's sponsor, Natera, Man Up to Cancer only partners with companies and organizations that provide a direct benefit for our community. Is the cancer coming back? This is something that I've wrestled with and probably the biggest fear at the back of every patient's mind at some point during our treatment journey. That's why I want to tell you about Signatera. It's a new kind of test that is custom designed for each patient to detect recurrence earlier as much as a year earlier than existing standard of care tools such as CEA and imaging. The Signatera test is incredibly unique in that it's personalized for you because it detects mutations found in your own tumors. Knowing early if there are small traces of cancer in your body can help you and your care team plan a more informed treatment strategy. Ask your doctor if Signatera is right for you. You can also find them at natera.com, that's n-a-t-e-r-a.com backslash Signatera patients. I'm going to read a post from you in a second here, but first of all, while I'm thinking of it, I want to shout out to Carol Motica and Jess Delaney Sloper. So yes. Carol Motika, um, one of my good friends through Cancerland, is one of the first people to have this surgery. I'm, I'm not even sure how many years it's been, but Carol is thriving with a new liver, and you know from from metastatic colorectal cancer. And also Jess Delaney Sloper and her husband Ryan, they live literally live a town over from us here in Scarborough, Maine. And I know that you know I, I haven't been in touch with them personally recently, but I know that Jess recently had her transplant maybe within the past couple of weeks. Two weeks um, ago. Yep. Two weeks ago as of this recording. So we are recording this on March 15th, 2022. Um, and, and maybe you can fill us in a little bit on, but I I heard that it, that was successful for Jess as well. So she's another person now who has gone through that process. And what was she with the same team?
2: She was with the same team. Um, Ryan texted me yesterday. She's doing great. Uh, She's got to get her weight back up, which (laughs) for a lot of it is is like, no, really, I don't. Uh, Rich did kind of have the same problem. But Jess is doing great. The donors, her brother was her donor and is doing great. And Ryan is extremely happy. Everybody's happy. She was uh, released, I believe it was last, uh, a week ago today, and her brother was released on the Monday. And she had her first lab come back and is doing fantastic.
0: Thank you for that. And shout out to to Carol and Jess and Ryan and the slopers. Um, So thank you. So this is a post you wrote. um, You started a Facebook page, um, Rally for Rich. This is from May 2021. And this is kind of long, so bear with me. This is Jackie's words. What we're about to ask is a life-altering, life-saving request for Rich Emery's life. We need a living donor for a living transplant. It is a terrifying and utterly helpless feeling to watch your strong husband fight for life every day. It is also terrifying as we humbly share this in search of a matching living donor to donate a piece of his or her liver to save Rich's life. Fortunately, the liver is a magical organ and will regenerate to just about full size in about three months. We have been granted this chance to save him, Rich is truly an incredible and genuine man. His love for his son is timeless and wife immeasurable. He honestly considers so many, including customers at Osteria 832 family and truly cares for them. This is just another aspect of his true-to-life selflessness and generosity as a person. Rich is a gentle soul who saves not only birds, butterflies, and bees, but even snakes and spiders that I'd really rather not see on my deck. (laughs) Richard is the most compassionate dad, husband, and friend who we are all proud to have in our lives. He's not done living. He has adventures not yet realized and a son to watch become the man he was raised to be and a chance to meet his grandkids. This keeps him fighting every day at the chance of life. Please help us keep Richard alive. I'm sure you remember posting that.
2: I'm having tears. (laughs) I got those leaking waterfalls going from my eyes just hearing that again
0: so how long was it from that post that you found your your match you tell us about finding your donor
2: we found our donor in the most incredible place he um i race Spartans, and i met david in 2015. he we were talking about it when i first told him about rich david's dad had stage three i believe um colon cancer he's doing great now he has an ostomy but his have it, living a normal life. And David, in passing said, if he needs a donor, I'll do it. You don't you don't hear that and you just keep going. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, I'll help, I'll help, I'll help. But when it really comes down to that time, um, we went through a few donors that had called for Rich. Um, I know Jess had many. People have many. Each donor has a, has to have a unique makeup to be a match, including height, weight, blood type, Etc. Um, so finally, David. I David was asking how it went, and I said, "Well, no luck." And he said, "I'll do it." And he's my friend from Canada who had never met Rich, only knew of Rich, only knew how much I loved and cared for him and was fighting for his life. And he said, "I'll do it." He turned out to be the perfect match, and he's from Ottawa, Ontario.
1: They do. They say Canadians are very giving, so I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it definitely definitely seems to, (laughs) to, I mean, how does it feel like for the search, you know, in the sense of you're saying, you're asking, there's lots of qualifications that need to happen for a donor. Were you finding, you know, kind of all people from, you know, for instance, gender, does that matter? Can, can, you know, I don't know anything about the donor process, especially living donor process. And, you know, when you're saying a lot of things have to match, I'm assuming, different organs have different needs in the sense of donors. But, you know, for this case, you know, did it have to be a man as well or, you know, that those things matter? I've wondered
2: that often myself because a lot of patients have received that I've seen that have had this done, have received the liver. The donor was from the opposite sex. So
0: Carol's was
2: yeah. And Scarlett's was, um, and Jess and Jess too. her brother, Ryan and Mark from um, Spokane, uh, his his wife, Megan, uh, they had at their church, Tia, was of the opposite sex. She was a donor. He, she was just before Richard. Um, David is really the only one I know of uh, that I'm thinking about it. I probably am missing one or two that is of the same sex. So it's a great
1: question. Uh, but a lot, it, no, it doesn't matter, obviously, because the majority we're seeing right. are yeah. of the opposite sex, yeah. And and is each time these, you know, I'm assuming different, again, total, don't know anything about this. <laughs> I didn't but, either. <laughs> is, it, is it something where the living donor is giving usually a similar amount of their liver or is it different per donor and, and recipient needs? Well, I think that's part of the reason um, the testing
2: gets sent to Jena University in Germany. And I believe that's for the graph. So in Rich's case, they took out 64% of David's liver. Wow. um, And gave it to Rich. I don't know exactly what the standard rate is. I know that 63 or 61 is usual, but I also know that in one case there was 69%. Don't quote me on that, but I'm fairly confident in saying so at any rate i think that is determined once they do the actual testing so they'll do i believe it's um, the ct and, and all of that plus they'll do the physical testing as well but i know that the grafting for the actual
0: liver
1: is done um at yena university
0: so oh kellen sorry go ahead
1: no that's just amazing that you can live with 30% of your liver. <laughs> well, and so like like she was mm-hmm. saying, the
0: the the capacity of the liver to right. regenerate is amazing. So David gave 64% of his liver and then really quickly that pretty much will will regenerate and come pretty much to the original volume if everything goes right. What are you hearing from David about how everything's going with his recovery?
2: Um he came from well, he is very active. He goes to the gym. So he was in excellent physical shape to begin with so his recovery other than frustrating for him because you do have weight <laughs> restrictions in terms of what you can um lift post-op for, for <laughs> six months to a year so i think he's at about 40 pounds right now so i get a lot of pictures of empty barbells <laughs> <laughs> um
1: That's great. i
2: can imagine it's frustrating for him especially someone who's used to being so active Again, he always says he wouldn't have done anything differently. He has zero regrets. He's more than happy to talk to anybody and share his story because it's really unique. Um, He didn't know Rich. He knew me. And I think that's how the majority of people find their donors is through generosity. It's amazing what people will do for someone they don't know.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, So you, you found your donor. You found your match. You had your team all ready to go um then you're in the shoot right tell us about that process of of like preparing for this and and you got a date and all that stuff
2: well yeah and i was actually there with david because of covid crossing the border again um i flew up to do his testing with him because it's not fair he's giving of himself to rich and he has i didn't want him to go through it alone so i was up there they did all the testing everything looked really great um waited for the feedback to come, like waited for Dr. Hernandez to say, okay, well, here we are. He's good. He's officially, he's a match. And then we had to go up there for Rich's testing. Everything goes well and okay, here we go.
0: And and this is still in, this is still in the thick of COVID. So you've got, and and David is living in Canada this time. So international travel and all that stuff.
2: He had a medical release to travel to uh, the U S also rich had to, I mean, I'm sure you know a lot of the requirements. So, you have to have your primary removed uh, and you have to be stable with no metastasis outside the liver for a minimum of a year. Right. So, Rich did have his his primary removed May 12th of 2021.
0: 21.
2: 21. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so it's been a long
0: couple of years for you guys. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah well for, for, i think for you too but yeah so I, I mean we're all in this together we get the date it's november 17th we have to show up there a week ahead of time um for a full day for both of them to be uh retested just to make sure kind of cross your t's and yeah. dot your eyes and um they did their testing that day and then we hung out in lovely wintry rochester new york for another six days, and then the morning came of transplant, which was November 17th.
0: So what are your, I imagine you, you've got lots of them, but what do you want to share about your memories from that day?
2: The day that we were there, the we arrived on the Monday, and the Tuesday was the day of the testing, et cetera. And those days leading up to it, you just wait for the other shoe to drop. You just feel like you've gotten this far. What now? What else are we going to have to overcome before we actually get to that point? That day that they're in the hospital and that uh, you leave the hospital because both donor and recipient are now in the back and you're waiting for the updates um, from the hospital. I'd like to say that was the hardest looking back. That was definitely not the hardest part. (laughs) (laughs) That's the safest part. And really, um, While they're in the hospital is honestly the easiest part because you Mm. you know they're in the best capable hands. Um, Right. That is the part where I wish I'd have gotten more sleep, but (laughs) I was constantly in out in out because I was uh, Betsy actually post from town was David's caregiver and we were there so kind of again COVID you were only allowed four hours at a time uh, to be with the patient so you had a lot of time outside of that where you were not allowed uh, once they came out of the ICU. But that time afterwards, it's, I'd like to say it's a fog, but it's really not. It literally go, 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 because you're at the hospital or you're not at the hospital. You're prepping for them to come home. And they're not in the hospital that long. Rich's donor, David, was only there for five days. Rich was there for seven. And then you're released. Then they come home and wow.
0: So I'm going to stop you right there because I think this is going to be a good transition. Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, How long, so yeah, so how long was the, were they actually back in, in surgery?
2: Um, They took David back first. So I believe that they uh, essentially go in, make sure everything is as expected, no surprises. And a couple hours later, they took, Rich went back. David went back at about 738 and rich went back I believe about 10 30 11 and they were in there in total until about 9 30 10 David was David was at about 4 30 and rich about 9 30.
0: and again I know you you know I know that you believed in your team you knew that everything you know they were in good hands but still this is not this is still not a common surgery you know for Uh, at all, and and particularly for metastatic colorectal cancer. So, you know, you're you're sitting there on on the cutting edge of science, on the cutting edge of treatment for this disease that we're all trying to figure out. I mean, it had to be incredibly nerve-wracking.
2: It was terrifying. And the only thing I kept thinking of in my head is you had to have started to get to this process somewhere. There had to have been people before you who got to resection back when resection was quite unheard of. There had to have been people before who went through primary removal, who went through all of the different type of surgical options that are available, whether it be SBRT or uh, radiation therapy or- Y90, right? Y90, any of that. There had to have been people that took that chance before it Mm. became the medical norm. So this is us taking that chance. Someone has to, because if we don't, science is never going to advance. We're never going to progress on colorectal cancer. And we're never, ever going to get to a cure if we don't start taking chances and get more funding, more awareness for colon cancer. It basically changed my life. It changed the direction of my life. And it certainly changed the path for both Rich and I.
0: Amazingly said, this this is just an awesome story. So we're going to just take a, a, a break right now. Uh, that's going to be the end of part one for our interview uh, with Jackie Emery and uh, come back for part two. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to support our mission, visit patreon.com backslash man up to cancer. Monthly subscriptions start at five bucks, less than a single cup of coffee at some establishments. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open. Big shout out again to the amazing team at Natera, developers of a new kind of test called Signatera that can detect recurrence as much as a year earlier than imaging. Ask your doctor if Signatera is right for you.